And welcome into the second half of Darren, Donick, and Chase. Darren McFarland out injured today. Questionable for tomorrow's broadcast. And with the with the ailing knee, Pete Weber has put this out there as a uh, you know possible attitude towards the whole thing. I got to find it here, but uh, you know it's kind of the modern term. We thought you know you have a hockey broadcast tomorrow, Predators and the right. Caps. Mm-hmm. You have Darren Donick and Chase for four hours. So Pete Weber asked, "What about load management?" You know that's been the, yeah. the term. It worked for uh, the Raptors with Kawhi Leonard, load management. So maybe some load management for Darren. Yeah, we, we if he can go at all. I just sent him a text. We're we're going to see how he's feeling because earlier it was sixty forty on the return tomorrow. But you know, I I think that there's something. Has it changed halfway uh, through the show? Is I it don't now sixty five thirty five? I I don't know. Or we're is it fifty five forty five? Are we dipping? Yeah, because we all know that you know. The, the further removed from surgery that you are, that's generally when the pain starts to go up a little bit. You know, day day one, feeling good. Day two, still feel pretty good. Day three, mm-hmm. how are you going to feel on day yeah. three? Well, Tim Hasselbeck knows a little something about uh, yeah, knee we're surgery. We're trying to connect with him. We'll have him in a moment. In the meantime, let's tell you uh, that we encourage you to celebrate the grand opening of the brand-new state-of-the-art Ford Ice Center facility in Bellevue, Saturday at 2 o'clock. Giveaways, free food, free public skate, kids' activities, plus Nash and the Predators Energy Team will be there. That's the grand opening celebration of the new Ford Ice Center in Bellevue, 7638B Highway 70 South. Very very simple. Yep. Bellevue exit off of I-40 West. Boom. It's where there. The, it is awesome. The uh, one Bellevue place, the new... The new mall, where the old mall used to be. Yep. Um, back so. in the day, for those that can go back far enough, where the Tennessee Oilers used to practice, uh-huh. they had the makeshift facility Have, out there. Yeah, so my dad had his his restaurant, which was a takeout Italian at the time, across the street from the mall. And he picked me up from school one day when I was, I was a fourth grader, so I was about 10 years old. And he's like, hey, I need you to help me with the catering, which at the time I hated. like Because growing up in restaurants, you know, free, the family always got put to yeah. work, free labor. And I was like, no, I don't want to do that. And then we pulled up with all the trailers. And Jeff Fisher meets us out front because it was, a, it was like a rookie camp or something. It was in April. It was just after the tornado had hit. So um, that, was, that was my memory of the old practice nice. facility. Well, now it is the home of uh, Fort Ice, yep. and Fort Ice Bellevue is going to be spectacular. Everybody that's been in there says it is really going to wow you when you go. Now, Tim Hasselbeck is with us. Time for his weekly chat. Tim, we've got Darren on the sideline. He's the day after a meniscus procedure here. We're trying to gauge his probability for tomorrow with the doubleheader. we got the show, and then we've got the Predators game. What, what do you assess the odds are? So... A second, he's got a meniscus issue, like a like a repair or a clean out. A repair. He had a repair yesterday. Yeah, it was wait, torn. Wait, so, so they're trying to. So they they just clipped it out, or they're trying to fix it. I think it was clipped out. Yeah, okay. I don't think it was a fix. I think it was a a clip out. Well, I, you guys, I've never gone into great detail on the uh, on my knee situation. Uh, I all I can say is. You know, even though Darren and I have had our moments and, and uh, on this show, and I, I've given him a hard time, I hope that his rehab and recovery goes far better than mine. 
Okay. <laughs> we will pass that along because I'm sure that I'm sure he appreciates that. Yes, yes. So, so the question is: Is he is he off the DL by tomorrow night? Is that the that the is the question? That is, we have listed him as questionable. Mm, he's listed as questionable. He's listed as questionable. Lim- limited participation in practice. How do we feel about his toughness level? Like, where where are we on that? Like, are we like is he uh, is he Danny Amendola or like Kyle Vandenbosch? Like, uh, I where, would. What are we doing? I would put it also also as questionable. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna go. I'm gonna lean towards Danny Amendola on that, but you uh, are, yeah, yeah. You know. I, that, I, I, um, I think, I think I would agree with you on that. Um, I never want to kick a man while he's down, but um, he can't kick yeah, back, so it's okay. Yeah, no, he can't kick back. That is that is your point. Yeah, that's um, that's so good. And then the, the dangerous part with that is, you know. When's the next trip? When's the next flight for him? Uh, not anytime soon. I, you know, he doesn't travel with the with the team until it's the playoffs. Oh, so so he he's okay, he's got okay. plenty of time on that one. Okay, so that, that that's probably why he's scheduled it now. All right, okay. You know, I I think um, if he's staying local, then he better be ready to go tomorrow night. If not, then he's softer than a marshmallow. <laughs> okay, <laughs> we will we will keep that uh, recorded. So. Tim, we have assessed, as you would imagine, you know, all all kinds of it, it, the NFL. There's so many teams that are either two and three or three and two, which is the case every year. How close the Titans, when you really look at it, are? They've kind of they've had two games right in the palm of their hand that they have not been able to win uh, at on on their home field against okay teams. Although you know the Bills are sitting there at four and one, but. In a nutshell, if I had to boil it down to one thing, Mike Vrabel has got to be frustrated that in those two games in particular, they've won the turnover battle, and they have built their team to win with the field position type of game, and they've come up empty. Now, the field goal kicker has quite a bit to do with it, but there's mm-hmm. so many other little things that have to be driving him crazy right now because they haven't, they've, they've sort of been beat at their own game by the Colts and the Bills. I would agree with that, and... Um, yeah, I think that has got to be frustrating. I just think the the consistency on offense has got to be, you know, frustrating for him. The field goal kicking thing, obviously, you know, you can play great, give yourself an opportunity to win, and if you know if that guy doesn't deliver, you know, it it, it doesn't work. So, you know, I don't think those are, you know, he's not the only coach that that's unique to, um, or, you know, that that's the situation. So I think ultimately, you know, for him, it's kind of how you weather the storm of that and continue, you know, to get belief out of your players that you are doing things the right way and that that, that process and that plan is going to work. Um, and I think that he'll do a really good job with that. You know, the, the thing you have a fear about, I believe, especially if you're a young head coach, is that when you're doing things a certain way and you're not experiencing – uh, the success in terms of wins, you know, guys start to question about if you, if if that process, if that plan is good enough to work, and you know, you kind of start pointing the finger and, and and you know, having things kind of you know go haywire on you. And I don't think that'll happen with him, um, just based on you know, kind of knowing what I know of him as a player and a teammate and a leader and a coach. And so. Yeah, that's important. And then total side note, okay, I'm flying home Monday night, 
and I'm coming down the escalator at uh, BNA, and there's somebody holding a sign, you know, a, a driver holding a sign, and it says Parky on it. Uh, <laughs> so they arrived just before him. Wow. Uh, how many times on the various ESPN shows are we going to see that kick now that he's got a job again? What's oh, the over-under? <laughs> we, um, we'll see it a lot, although... Yeah, I, I think I think we'll I think we'll see it a lot, you know, initially. But you know, I, that is, you know, everyone kind of gives kickers a hard time and stuff. I mean, you think he, you know, it, it didn't go the way he wanted it to in Chicago, and then I think Chicago has kind of handled it poorly, you know, uh, you know, kind of since that point, um, even though they appear to have found a kicker. Um, you know, the, the tricky thing is is. You know, we've laughed about, you know, me throwing batting practice to fifth graders um, and how mentally oh, you, know, yeah. you can become paralyzed. And, you know, I, and I hope because the guy is a good kicker, I, I hope that you know, he's kind of to a point that, that he can, you know, kind of resume his career. And people are like, oh, hey, remember everyone panicked because, you know, he didn't have a great year and he missed a big kick. And then he ends up having a great career. So, um, yeah, I mean, I, I, I think that um, – I kind of am happy to to see him get another opportunity. A hundred percent, you're you're right about that. It, it's just that that kick is going to go down in history. It's just such a phenomenon to do exactly what happened with that. The hit hit the two, and then honestly, I forget what it was. It was like four of them that year. Yes, that 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 hit you know hit an upright or or something like that. I mean, like, just look at Justin Tucker's game winner this past weekend, and everyone talks about Justin Tucker. I think most people believe he's the best kicker in the league. Well, his game winner, uh, it starts at least five feet left of the uprights. Big time. And, you know, I, I just, listen, maybe he's, he's playing the, the slice or, the, you know, the fade or the, the wind or whatever he's doing, but you know, I have to think sometimes with that ball and how it travels in certain stadiums, you know, there's an element of luck to it, and you're certainly dependent on your snapper and holder. Um, look, you hate to lose games that way. It happens to people, and I think it's, you know, clearly it's affected the Titans, and so making a, you know, making a switch at this point in the season isn't ideal. But you know, I think you hope that you end up landing on somebody that ends up, you know, having a great career with you. You know, not just a great season. Tim, there's been a ton of discussion uh, about Mike Vrabel and some decisions that have been made in fourth down situations: when mm-hmm. to go for it, when to kick the field goal, when to go for two, when to challenge. All of these things. And he's a second-year head coach. There, there are some coaches that just have a great knack, a great feel for those situations. And, you know, the consensus is, now what, what do we know? That it, he, he has made some decisions that are very questionable as to whether it was the right decision. I, my question for you is, what is the process that you, in your experience, some of the coaches, how they arrive at those decisions? Is there somebody in a coach's ear saying, Okay, you need to consider this. You got you could have a fourth down coming up. Are we going to go for it here, or is it all the feel of of the head coach? I think guys that have been head coaches for a long time, um, you know, have implemented you know um, um, you know at least a a a portion of analytics and um, um, maybe somebody on the staff that uh, you know it is. You know, that's kind of their job is to be an assistant to the head coach, you know, for that stuff. I think there are other other guys that, um, you know, just 
that that really go by feel. They they're smart enough that they can understand game situations and um, they can do it. So the the truth is, I, I, it runs the gamut in terms of how people handle it. Now I would say this: if you are new to being a head coach and you have a lot of responsibility, you know I think one of the things that has been good for people is to to have somebody on your staff that's been a head coach, that somebody on your staff that that's made some of those decisions, so that that he can help your head coach. I, I do think that that is that is important, and um, and you see that a lot of places. The other thing that I have seen a lot, and I've kind of oddly enough seen it a lot, just in the college football games that I have done this season and talking to college coaches. A lot of these coaches have hired somebody who, like for example, the you know at North Carolina State that Dave Doran hired a math major from the Naval Academy, and he essentially tells them when to go for it on fourth and one or fourth and two, and he tells them you know if it's a two point situation or if it's a um, you know hey you know you are you're in four down territory here because of this and because of the clock and because of the number of possessions that you're likely to get at this point. And, you know, so I think in today's football, with how much we are charting and tracking football and plays and situations, I think that everybody should have somebody like that on the staff that has a direct line to head coach. Uh, I agree. And then there's balancing what the numbers tell you and the human element of what's yeah. going on at the time. My guy has missed three. You know, what's in his mind? Yeah. Really fascinating yeah. part of the game. I think that's a great point is that, that you can override the decision based on the feel, um, you know, or the, if you get a sense for your players, Willie, but, um, you know, sometimes some of the decisions just, just aren't good decisions, even though, right. you know, people thought they were good decisions for the last 20 years. <laughs> that's right. When we come back, our decision will be to turn it over to Chase McCabe. He will have questions. For Tim Hasselbeck. Is that a good decision? We will find out on the other side. The analytics, <laughs> good questions. The analytics tell us it's a good decision. Tim Hasselbeck is with us. Stay tuned. We're coming back. Tim Hasselbeck with us here on Darren Donick and Chase, and he is brought to you by Wyatt Johnson Ford. Glad to have them aboard as a sponsor of this fine segment. Chase, take it away. All right, Tim. Uh, so earlier in the show, we had uh, John Glennon on who writes for The Athletic, covers the Titans, and, and he put an article out that I think is perfect to ask you about about Marcus Mariota getting rid of the football, and when he gets rid of it in under two and a half seconds, that's when he's successful. That leads to big mm-hmm. plays. And when I read that, you know, and it takes him longer, I think you have to factor in the offensive line and the struggles that they have. Is that more or less just in two and a half seconds, he finds his first read, the, the first read is available, he gets rid of the football, and when he has to go through his progression a little bit more, is that where he struggles? That's how I look at it. Is that accurate? Yes, I think you're accurate about that, Chase, um, for sure. And um, I was at ESPN, you know, Monday, and Mike Tannenbaum was, um, you know, talking about a similar thing for another quarterback. And I'm not remembering the quarterback that that he was referring to about it. Um, could have maybe been Daniel Jones. It was somebody. It was it was another quarterback, and it was not Marcus. But it was a very similar thing. Ball out quickly. He the completion percentage was outstanding. You know, a little bit longer it was not. And I think that it can be a pretty misleading stat when you think about all the times the guy 
gets the snap and just like spits it out to a wide receiver on a little wide receiver screen or something like that. So I think it can be misleading. With that being said, yeah, I think that what it also is an indicator of is, is you know, guys maybe get to a point where that number is, um, you know, guys are better. I, I, I think that everyone's number kind of goes down. I don't know for a fact, but I'm pretty sure everybody's number goes down in terms of percentage. But I do think it speaks to a guy's ability to diagnose and read things post-snap. And I think that's really what separates okay quarterbacks from good quarterbacks and good quarterbacks from great quarterbacks. There's guys that, you know, they gather as much information as they can pre-snap, but when things change on them post-snap and they have to read something out with people moving around and people around them, um, you, you know, like around your, your face and your body in terms of offensive linemen, yeah, I, I think that's really where you separate yourself. And it's where, you know, you would like to see guys, especially guys that were high first-round draft picks, you know, be some of the best in the game at doing that. I feel like in year five, it, it kind of is what it is, and there's not much that you can really do to fix that. I mean, he's going to go through his progression the way he's going to go through his progression. But if you are the Titans, how do you help him along with that? How do you try and maybe speed up the process to to cover up for some of those deficiencies? Yeah. I think ultimately what you need to do is you just need to start to identify the stuff that that he's really good at doing, even, um, and then just throwing out the stuff that he's not. And so, you know, um, and then hopefully you can build off of the stuff that he's good at doing. And I think I've used this example talking to you guys in the past is that, you know, everybody in the NFL runs four verticals. So, you know, people, some people call it all go, so, you know, whatever it is, but it's, and the West Coast offense, the verbiage is, is all go. And it's four verticals. And so versus a single high safety, you're trying to get a two-on-one on the, the middle of the field safety versus two high safeties, you know, in a cover two look, you're maybe trying a two-on-one, you know, a safety and an outside go route. And if you get quarters coverage, then, you know, maybe you get an option route to somebody underneath. Well, the long and short of it is that everyone runs it. Some people are really good at it and some people aren't. We had a year when I was at the Giants where we had caught it 20 times that season. We had one completion on it, and it was a really remarkable catch by Jeremy Saki. And, you know, kind of the argument at the time that I was making is, who cares if everyone runs it? Who cares if it's a good idea against every defense that we see if we stink at it? Like, we, we shouldn't do it if we're not any good at it and our quarterback isn't seeing it right and our receivers aren't running it the right way. And so I think that ends up being a challenge is that, you have to find stuff that, that he's good at doing, concepts that, that he's comfortable with, that he's been doing, you know, maybe since high school, and then major in that stuff and then build off of it. And so, um, you know, I think there are elements of, you know, kind of a – I think there are, there are certain things that Marcus does really well, and, and I think that they know it. And, and I think there are other things that they maybe do that are – or league-wide what other people are doing, but he maybe just doesn't, you know, if you were to really go back to analytics, if you go back and look at some of those concepts, he probably hasn't done really well. Isn't basically what you're saying what Sean McVay did for Jonathan Goff, not, or uh, for Jared Goff? Jared Goff. I, I know I know that I'm thinking of the old Vanderbilt player, Jonathan Goff. Jared Pretty Goff. good linebacker yeah, back in the day. <laughs> um, 
isn't that pretty much what he did for Goff though? When he got there as the head coach, that he took a, you know the things that Goff did well, and and then he took the offense and and simplified it so Goff could run it. Yeah, I think there were elements. No, I think they they were you know they added some talent to the team. They're better defensively, but what they did was you know they they really focused on you know that outside zone run scheme, and along with that, they were able to get some play action stuff off of it. Now I think the thing that you know was probably a little bit of the unknown, but it ended up being something that Jared was very good at was turning his back to the defense and then snapping his head around and locating people. And, um, you know, you don't always know if, for example, for me, like I hated doing that. Like I, I hated turning my back to the defense. And even though it was something I did a fair amount in college and stuff, when that was, whenever I was part of offenses where there was a lot of that stuff, I never really felt like I, I had a good grasp with that. Um, Jared, Jared Goff has done a tremendous job with that. You know, Matt Ryan is a guy that, that he's excelled with that. And so, yeah, I, I think there are elements to, you know, to just even, you know, backfield action along with pass, passing concepts that, that you're trying to identify. And so if you think about the success that Goff has had, it's been the ability to do some of the hard play action stuff and turn your back to the defense. And then nearly everything, you know, not everything, but like so much of what they do is like a deep post with a deep cross, you know, and stuff that he's just really comfortable with. Then you think about a team like New England. They've majored in what Tom is comfortable with, you know. Do they have some play action? Yeah. But they don't have a ton of like turn your back to the defense play action for Brady because he's so good at seeing things. And so they will run the, the play they ran at the end of the Super Bowl uh, last year where they run it three times in a row and it goes to three different receivers is a, a route combination that they call Haas Wide Jerk. And basically he's seen it versus every single coverage you know, imaginable. And, you know, and they, they don't mind running it over and over and over again because he's so good at it. Tim, before we let you go, your assessment of the Broncos, it's interesting. I, I don't think any of us saw coming that they would knock off the Chargers, who have had more issues than than uh, we anticipated before the season started. But we have in our memory here uh, Joe Flacco with a excellent performance against the Titans last year when he was still with the Ravens before they uh-huh. made the switch uh, to Lamar Jackson. But the Broncos have issues. It's a big game for the Titans to try to get back to 500 here. What, what do you think of the matchup? Well, I just think when you look at the, the Broncos, they've had some really tough luck. I mean, you know, essentially, you know, two game-winning field goals, um, you know, against them. So you look at some of their losses, you know, they were really, you know, they were tight games. And um, and so their record could look drastically different, you know, at this point in the season. I would start there. The loss of Bradley Chubb for them is brutal because what kind of would make made them so unique is that because they had two kind of elite pass rushers, you had to deal with both of them. So the fact that you only have to deal with one of them now, I think makes them a different team. And um, so they're, they're a team that, that has a lot of talent. I think they're a good team. I think catching them at this point in the season when you've had some, you know, some kind of unlucky situations at the end of football games, and then, you know, they've had a critical injury at this point. Like, if I'm, you know, if I'm the Titans, I, I feel like I'm getting Tennessee at the right, excuse me, I feel like I'm getting the Denver Broncos at the right time, um, you know, kind of wounded, if you will, you know, based on what's happened. And 
Um, I think you could make a, a similar case for, for the Titans in terms of what they've been through. But, um, yeah, I, I, I think you're happy you're getting them now instead of week two uh, based on what they've been through. Tim, excellent analysis as always. Was it the right decision analytically to, to turn segment two over to Chase? It really was, and, and, and I appreciate your analytics sticking with me as I was a little late for it today. Right. <laughs> no problem. It was good stuff. We got you. All right, Tim, we'll talk to you soon. And by the way, what would analytics say to us about how old is Darren? <laughs> about Darren's workload tomorrow? Well, how old is he? Is, is Darren is – Darren I don't. He's he is he is nipping at the heels of, of okay. fifty. He might so, even. I, so I think he has he crossed. He has crossed the line. He has crossed the the finish line to fifty. A, a full recovery at fifty years old from that surgery. I want to know the analytics on that, and if we think that he's uh, if he's above the grade or not. Like I want to see if he's an outlier or not. I, <laughs> we'll I find out. Guess, I would guess that he is based on his, his success with the Smyrna. <laughs> that's a great way right, to end Tim. we'll talk to you soon <laughs> the success of the Smyrna Braves it, 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 which is now part the of history wave. part yeah. of history the Smyrna Braves have been put onto the onto the shelf it is now tidal wave I'm hoping that the the, tidal uh, wave. the success that the Smyrna Braves have had will you know translate to the yeah. Atlanta Braves later today yes, <laughs> yeah. yes you, you do yes why right. Johnson Ford yeah our thanks Proud to Wyatt Johnson Ford uh, for sponsoring our segment our chat with uh, Tim Hasselbeck from ESPN. When we come back, we'll go back to. Uh, I want to talk about the Vrabel and the decision making, because so, I think it's a fascinating yeah. part of the game. And we will return with that. Don't forget, Chris Mason joins us uh, to talk some Predators at one o'clock. You're listening to Darren Donick and Chase here on ESPN 1025 The Game. Hey, folks, Friday, Jared and the GM will be broadcasting live at the 40th annual Nashville Oktoberfest, a Nashville tradition. Since 1980. Where was I in 1980? I was in the state of New York. I wasn't. You were not. I was just, I was nothing. 1980. As a young nine-year-old. That would have been, uh, what, fourth grade? I was uh, hanging in the fourth grade. Mr. Marino's class. Not Dan Marino. No. (laughs) Not Dan Marino. Dan Marino, uh, I think, might have been... Taking the reins at Pitt as the quarterback at yeah. that time. 1980? Right around then. If it wasn't 80, it was 81. Uh, Atomic Dog, though, might have been uh, pre-1980. I'm thinking 70s here for the... <laughs> Probably. Atomic Dog. Good good song. Though. George Clinton. Yeah. Uh, it's not just a beer festival, though. Oktoberfest, you know, has something for everyone, Chase. Delicious German foods. Dozens of restaurants. Vendors. World-class beer from local breweries. Tons of events. Arts and crafts. Live German music. The Dash Hound Derby. What do you know about the Dash Hound Derby? I don't know anything about that. I don't either, but it sounds exciting. An enormous parade through downtown, plus so much more. For more information or purchase tickets, visit NashvilleOctoberfest.com. So Jared and the GM will be hanging on Friday. Because Google knows everything. Atomic Dog, 1982. Ooh, I missed that. I would have sworn 70s on that. Man. That should I, be right I love, in my wheelhouse, too. I love George Clinton. What's going on with that? Um, let's get back to, we, we asked Tim about the whole process of how teams and head coaches, because it, you know, it stops with the head coach, the key decisions on when to go for it, when to kick the field goal, when to punt, all of that stuff. 
And he made a very good point that as time has gone on, it's been more and more streamlined your your percentages, the probability of teams throughout history, what is the success rate of going for it on, say, fourth and one, fourth and five, fourth and six, the percentage chance that your kicker is going to make the field goal. The numbers are there. You should be well aware of the numbers. Then you have your gut feeling right. on the situation, the time of the game, the people involved, and then you make your decision. It's been well documented. Mike Vrabel has had a series of these just this year where I think the consensus is that he went opposite of what everybody watching the game would have done. If you had a instant poll, what should the Titans do? I think the people, for whatever it's worth, would have gone opposite of... And I, I think you would include a lot of football people in there, right? Not just, you know, yo-yos watching... We don't know anything about the game, right? I mean, there's people that have watched a lot of football, understand the basics of football. But really what I think is interesting is the analytics part of that. And the question did come up on Monday, right? Do you have a guy? Is there a guy? And I don't think they really do. I think he... Did did he say they don't have one? Well, he said we have scouts and we have assistants. But that's not not the answer, though. It's like, what is your process? Like, we, I I asked, uh, you know, everybody who watches the Predators, they know that there is a process that every hockey team has as to when to challenge, right? You have your people back there watching the video. They communicate with you, and they say, this is worth challenging or this is not worth challenging, right? You you have a process that you go through. So I, I, would, I would just be really curious to know what is the Titans' process. Scouts doesn't make any sense to me. Like that, that Scouts would not be involved in a decision of whether to kick a field goal or go for it on – for the, I, I think the things to consider are, for example, the there's six and a half minutes left. You're down by seven. It's a fourth and five or fourth and four, whatever it was. Yeah. What are the percentage? The, like, the numbers will be able to tell you. It's easy to find, right, for somebody who's in charge of that on your staff. Fourth and five. Our percentages are X league-wide. And then the coaches are, are also saying, okay, what, what plays do we have here? This is a tough defense right. we're going against. There were a lot of third and fives where there were tight windows, coverage was good, play could have been made, right? But the Titans weren't making catches like that. Not yeah. a lot of them. But I just I think everybody thought your kicker has struggled, right? He's having an awful day. It doesn't look good to ask him to make a 53-yarder that only puts you within four. Yeah, when and you, you know still you're need, need a touchdown. touchdown. Yeah. You know, two field goals doesn't do it. It just doesn't it doesn't add up, right? I just cannot imagine that as Tim said, there's some coaches that have a math per, like an actual math person in there yeah. telling you that. I just cannot imagine any math person would say that's the best percentage play there to now, go for that. I tend to lead and you weren't here for Tehran cuz Tehran is is kind of the you know, I'm going to do the eye test. I'm going to go with the gut. He's not as much the numbers guy. He thinks the numbers are important, and I'm the same way. Like, I, I, I know you're an you know, analytics guy. Calvin is an analytics guy. And I think there's definitely a place for it. So yeah. It's got to be I, a I think blend. Having that, like, yeah. I, I don't think you should do all analytics. That's that's the wrong right. approach. Just I, like all gut feeling is the wrong approach. And I think if, if Vrabel has somebody in his headset saying, hey, you know, the, the analytics say this – 
there's no rule that says he has to listen to it. I mean, he can right. if his gut feeling says, you know what, he's going to make that 53 yard field goal, then okay. Then, but but the gut that was also questionable, right? right. What, in, in anybody's gut, were they thinking that Cairo Santos was going to hit after the 53 yard had in the, would, in the weather? You know the. Slippery, rainy. I mean, just, yeah. it just was. It just if didn't I feel Mike, good at all. If I am Mike Vrabel, I would look at Marcus. I would, you know, point <laughs> and say, "Hey, come over here," and say, "Hey, I'm putting it on you. I'm putting it on the offense. Go get it. Slap on the butt. Send him back out." That's how I would handle it. Because even if you don't get it, right. you still have you still have a chance, right? Right. And, and I think you have to. But you know, I, I think some of it too is. You know, he's had to answer a lot of questions lately about, okay, why did you go for it and not kick and all that? And, and so he struggled at those decisions. Whether you have an analytics person or you have you know, an advisor that is just somebody that Mike Vrabel trusts that is just, you know, hey, Mike, you know, I was in this situation one time or you know, ha- somebody yeah. he can lean and on. And you don't have time for a long conversation. No. But you, you could have a guy that you really is in your inner circle that – Right. You've, you've and, even trusted and, to be thinking about because you have a lot to think about as, as the coach, right? right. As and, the head coach. And Darren says, well, it's a little late for that. You're in year two. I don't think it's late for anything. No. I, I just, I think at some point in time, you just have to go, hey, you know what? John, Amy, I need a little help. Can we, you know, I, I got somebody at, look, I'll, this could be a bad example, but I'll use it because it's somebody he's coached with and he trusts. I'd like Urban to come in and hang out for a couple weeks and just. You know, I, I trust Coach Meyer. I, I I just want to lean on him a little bit. You know, can we get him down here and just let me sit? Not have it. You know, he's not on the staff. Don't have him involved in the game. Just somebody to talk to. I don't think there's anything wrong with somebody like that. That if it's somebody but he what, trusts. Okay. I think as a sounding board, that uh, that I guess that makes some sense. But Urban Meyer has never been in no, and, and NFL I, football, and, the, and that's why I say that it could be a bad example. But I mean, Bill O'Brien, Bill Belichick—they're not really available. You know, yeah. I'm thinking of guys that he's coached with that have those tough, ex, you know, tough coaching moment experiences. And I understand it's the college game, but you know, whatever. I, but I just think he needs that something to me, like that. To me, you're talking about as you say that. I mean, Jay, I'm Gruden's, of, Jay Gruden's Car- available. You know, you could bring him in. Uh, yeah, <laughs> so. he's, been, he's been a coach in Nashville before. He has. But I'm thinking of somebody that's on your staff that is just delegated with the in this department, tough decision making. What's our? You know, let's really have the numbers in front because again, the fourth and one the week before. Made no sense from the time and score of the game. You're up by, you know, you have a chance to go up by nine, right? Or no, you have a chance to go up twenty-seven to ten. Is that is that where it was when they went forward on the fourth and one? Yeah, you have a chance to go up by three scores. You have to a chance to go up by seventeen, where two touchdowns and two two-point conversions do not tie the game. There's just no way that you would. I mean. I, I, to me, that's a, that's an easy one. There there are a lot of decisions that are a lot tougher than that, where it is really a tough call, and there's no wrong answer, necessarily, right? Where it's more like fifty fifty. But that that's just the wrong play, at the time. Right. And he basically admitted that. So I just I worry. I wonder about the process. And that's not to me. That's not an Urban Meyer. To me, there the the mentor, the Bill Cowher, the somebody that you can talk to away from everything, between get like Bill, Bill Cowher is a perfect example because right, he played for him. But he's not. A guy that's going to help you make that decision in that moment, where you just yeah. have a you you have thirty seconds or fifteen seconds to decide, 
right? And then there's I, the other part is the challenge, right? Do who who's up there? Who is running the video, the TiVos, all of the things that are important in making a quick, smart decision on this is one we need to challenge. And coach, this is what we don't. I know you want to challenge it. I know I know our guys out there saying I I caught it. He didn't catch it. Don't challenge this, right? There's that's a process too. And the Titans have not had good success in that area either. I just think he could benefit. You know, you see so many head coaches benefit from having a former head coach on their on their staff, and he doesn't have that. And mm-hmm. and I just think that that's something that he's missing. And I and not everybody does it. Not everybody needs it. But you know, one thing that you see with a lot of coaching staffs, they have that that former head coach that can you know share experiences. So I just. Yeah, I think that there's something needed there for sure. When we come back, we'll talk about a guy that is starting to rise in stock who was a free agent at the end of the season. And there's an article that's been written speculating on what his interest level will be. And that man's name is Teddy Bridgewater. We're going to tell you about where we're coming back, uh, where that's going when we come back. Let me tell you about Lee Company as we go to the break. Don't forget at 1 o'clock, Chris Mason will join us. We'll talk Predators hockey And speaking of the Predators, Lee Company is a big sponsor of the Nashville Predators. And let me ask you this. Have you had your heating unit checked here recently? Because believe it or not, the temperature is going to get into the 40s here in the next few days. You might consider kicking on the heat. But when you kick it on, are you sure it's going to work? Now is the time to get it checked. So call Lee Company right now, 567-1000, and have them come out and check your heating. It's so much better to do it now that have that feeling of when it really gets cold and your heater is not working, that's a bad feeling. Also ask them about their home maintenance plan because then they'll call you for annual checkups, not only on your heating, but your cooling, your plumbing, and your electrical. Lee Company, proud sponsor of the Nashville Predators. 567-1000 is the number, or go online and make an appointment there at leecompany.com. Sean Henry will be in Smashville tomorrow night with all of us as the Predators take on the Capitals. We'll talk Predators at 1 o'clock with Chris Mason. In the meantime... We have Smashville Live coming Smashville up tonight. Smashville Live is coming up tonight, as you've been hearing. Dan Hamuse, Kyle Turris. Make sure you jump on that. It's at Brewhouse South in Cool Springs, 1855 Galleria Boulevard, 7 to 8 tonight. Turris, Hamuse, first 50 people have the opportunity to get an autograph or a picture. And it's brought to you by New Amsterdam Vodka, Spring Hill Heating and Cooling, and Red Spirits and Wine. So, Chase, tell tell me about the article regarding Teddy Bridgewater. So let's yes. set the table. All right, Bridgewater is getting a chance to play. Yep. With Breeze being hurt, he's playing well. He's not lighting it up, but he has kept the team moving in the right direction. His contract is up at the end of the season, as is Drew Breeze, and by the way, as is Marcus Mariota. And Ryan Tannehill, basically. So things are setting up for any free agent quarterback like Teddy Bridgewater to get a yeah. pretty good look. So this this is the article that you have. Well, it's it's a hodgepodge of things going into week six that ESPN Plus has put out there. And they have um, different contributors. So uh, Mina Kimes, who's an NFL writer for ESPN, Jason Reed, uh, Aaron Schatz, Kevin Seifert, and Field Yates that have all contributed to this. And one of the little blurbs um, as you go through and read everything is Teddy Bridgewater got a one-year $7.25 million deal to stay in New Orleans this offseason. What will his contract next offseason look like and what team will sign him? 
And so all five writers give their thoughts on this. And Kimes is the first one, says the Tennessee Titans for three years at $50 million. Okay. That they would, and and it goes on to say, by my count, the teams that could, emphasis on could, be in the market for a quarterback are the Dolphins, Titans, Bengals, Broncos, Buccaneers, and Bears. The first two teams pick high in the draft. I think Tampa and Chicago stick with their guys. I think Denver will opt to move on to Drew Locke. Given the diminished market, I don't think Tennessee will have to pay close to what Jacksonville gave Nick Foles, though he didn't have much of a market either. Reed says somewhere between $45 million and $50 million brings up Marcus Mariota, says the Titans would be a good fit for Bridgewater. Uh, Schott says that he stays in New Orleans, that Drew Brees could go ahead and call it a career, and they stick with, with Teddy Bridgewater. I do believe that if, if that does happen, that the New Orleans Saints would probably be smart to to keep Teddy Bridgewater just uh, and because I think he, he would, it's worked. I think he would probably want to stay yeah. if that if if they can map all that out. But as we know, that can get hairy. Uh, see the Aaron Rodgers, Brett Favre fallout. Even the Joe Montana, Steve Young transition was was rocky. Like yeah. Montana and Favre, a lot of pride. Some of the best of all time. They were not done, right? And they still wanted to play. They went elsewhere and played. So if it's a smooth and Breeze says, you know, this is it, this is my yeah. swan song, then I don't think there's any question that they would invest in Bridgewater. The question becomes, if Breeze comes back and Bridgewater hits the free agent market and the Saints say, listen, Teddy, we'd love to have you back, but as a backup price and, you know, right. we don't know how long Drew's going to play, but he's still productive. Do, that, do Is Bridgewater better than Mariota? That That's... That's in this market. That's the question we would be asking, and I, I don't think it's an easy question to answer. Because Seifert and Yates also have the Titans being good fit. Yeah, so so a lot of so, these writers have the Titans on the radar as potentially a fit if the Titans yeah. want to go a different direction. But are they really getting ahead if they if they were to sign Bridgewater? I think it's it's not an easy to answer your question. I think you have to look at both teams. Obviously, the weapons that that Bridgewater has in New Orleans, I think, are better uh, overall. There's no question than than the Titans. So, they, they have an efficient offense that has been going. And to his credit, he's, he's had another. Going. He's kept it going. His numbers aren't great, right? Right? They're okay. The defense has actually he, played surprisingly well, I think, for New Orleans. Right? Bridgewater has done enough to keep the ship afloat for the Saints while yeah. Breeze is out, and that's what you usually say is a good job by a backup. Mm-hmm. But if you're investing a guy to be your new starting quarterback, you need more than that. Because essentially, the way I look at it, if, if John Robinson and company is like, all right, you know what, we're moving on, and Marcus leaves, he goes somewhere else, Tannehill is probably going to pursue being a starter somewhere, so he's gonna he probably leaves. In this situation, you're bringing in Bridgewater to be the starter, you get him on a three-year deal, and then you're probably turning to the draft to get the future. Don't you think Ryan Tannehill would be sitting there going, I'm as good as Bridgewater. I've, yeah, done, I've it, done more than I Bridgewater. Mean, honestly, in this why not me? In this situation, if you're going to move on from Marcus, I would rather go Tannehill because he's been here for a year and already knows the system. I think there's that's an argument you could make, and then you ask yourself, well, why didn't they give him a chance the year before if it keeps no. going the way it's going? But the the real question is, how does Mariota compare? If if right now the assumption is the Titans feel like Mariota is better than Tannehill, I think we can say that right now, yeah. right? How do they evaluate Bridgewater compared to Because I don't know if he's much better than what you got. 
And I mean that in he's I don't Bridgewater. Think I don't think Bridgewater is much better. Maybe a little, but much better than Mariota or Tannehill. I, I, mean, I don't know that you could change? say that he's better. I I, yeah. I I think you could say that Mariota is better. Yeah, I mean they're, they're so all you're in just the doing same, it. You're just changing, right? And hoping they're that all in the same. It's realm. a better fit. It's a it's an interesting question because these are the choices that lie ahead. Yeah. Right. And, There's no easy choice. It's not like oh, well, let's just go over and grab uh, you know a great quarterback who's sitting on the street with no job. The, let, that doesn't exist. Let you're, me, you're making tough choices. Let me throw this at you because Breeze and Brady are kind of in the same boat that they're year to year. That basically they're going to play as long as they want to play, and, and you know are still productive. Breeze to me, he is going to play for the New Orleans Saints, or he's not going to play. Brady, wouldn't you have said that about Brett Favre? At, one point in time yeah. i know i would have said that about joe montana yeah yeah i would have brady i pretty much feel the same way however i wouldn't be shocked if you know he's just like eh, why not let's just let's prove everybody wrong and i'll show you how great i really am he doesn't have to he doesn't need to he shouldn't but of those two don't you think brady would be the most likely to be like yeah i'll go play somewhere else for a year uh History is so full of guys, great trivia questions, out and about at a bar somewhere, trying to name the final team that some of these, you know, some of the greatest of all time played for, and it's not the team they yeah. spent 90%. So I wouldn't rule either one out, uh, but it, that that is definitely part of the plot here. And it, any job that opens is a good thing for Bridgewater. He's going to get paid because of the the supply and demand. All right, we're out of time. Coming up, Chris Mason joins us for the final hour to start things off and talk Nashville Predators. Stay tuned. We're coming back.